This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. If you have your Bibles with you, if you could please open to the book of Esther. The book of Esther. We are continuing in our series this morning as we consider how we can live with humble confidence in the God of providence. Because God's unseen hand is in control of all things at all times, no matter the turns that life takes, we can trust that He is at work for our good and for His glory. We can trust that even when we don't see what He is doing. Last week we heard an excellent sermon from Pastor Ian on the end of chapter 3 into chapter 4 where he was really helping us see how do we navigate life when it takes unexpected and sad turns? How can we navigate the brokenness of this world what's with trusting in the sovereignty of our God? Chapter 4 in the book of Esther is a really key text in this entire book. In many ways the whole book kind of turns on a hinge in what takes place in that chapter. And so as our pastoral team was processing how best to teach through this book to you, we felt it was important for us to have an overview of chapter 4, which Pastor Ian gave us last week, and then to drill down more specifically and look at one particular thing that occurs in chapter 4 and that really carries forward into chapter 5. And that one particular thing is this. In chapter 4, we see the transformation of Esther. We saw in chapter 2 that Esther did not start out in this story as the heroine that she often gets made out to be. Esther gets enrolled in the king's beauty pageant. Instead of standing up for her faith and making it known that she is a Jew, in that chapter, the author of the book of Esther goes out of his way to make sure that we, the readers of that book, understand that she kept her Jewishness hidden. She did not want anyone to know that she believed in the one true God, Yahweh. And so because of that, she actually begins to engage in a lot of sinful practices. She eats food that God said was forbidden. She works hard to get beautiful so that she can go win favor from the king. Esther is being set up as a contrast to Queen Vashti. In chapter 1, we saw that Queen Vashti was unwilling to allow herself to be sexualized and exploited, but in chapter 2, we see Esther is all too happy to go along and do whatever is necessary to become the queen. Ancient rabbinical literature, the Jewish people actually wrote about the book of Esther uh, in ancient times, they're actually so embarrassed by the behavior of Esther that many of them want to remove it from the Bible. And yet what we saw is that even in Esther's sinfulness, God was at work with a plan of deliverance. You see, God is so powerful that he can use even our sin to move forward his plan for our salvation. But in order for God to work his plan for our salvation, Esther needed to undergo some transformation. She couldn't stay who she was in chapter 2. See, in chapter 2, she gets put in the right position, but up until that point, she has had the wrong motives. But here in chapter 4, we see that Esther is finally able to, to be able to do a mighty work for the Lord because she goes through an inward transformation from the Lord. 
See, sometimes God needs to do a work in you before you're ready for God to do a work through you. So let's read Esther chapter 4 in its entirety, and then we're going to read down through chapter 5, verse 8. I've entitled this morning's sermon, The Person Who God Uses. The Person Who God Uses. Let's read God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and authoritative word, and in doing so, may we hear his voice. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, speaking again here about the edict, about how all the Jews are going to be killed, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting. And many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young woman and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth. But he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews." Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to come into the king these 30 days. They told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I'll go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went and did everything as Esther had ordered him. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. 
Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. The king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, But please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly so that we may go and do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even half the kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Praise God for his holy word. May it be this now for the preaching of it. Would you bow your head with me in a word of prayer? Lord God, we come to you asking you to help us see what you want us to see. To help us to hear what you want us to hear. To help us to feel what you want us to feel. Lord, we pray that as we take this time to read your word and now hear preaching from your word, that Jesus Christ, you and all things, would be preeminent. For all of Scripture is about you, and all is for the glory of you. Lord, we come confessing our distractions, we come confessing our inadequacies, and we come trusting in your Spirit to help us in our weakness. Please be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The person God uses. This morning, I want us to see five different things that had to change in Esther's character in order for her to become the person that God would be able to use. And as we go through each of these things, I think the question that we should be asking ourselves is this, what does God want to change in me so that he can do his work more effectively through me? We're not like Esther in that we're not in a position where we're going to have to go save an entire people group. <laughs> but we have opportunities to save people's souls by sharing the good news of Jesus. And we have opportunities to do the good works in the name of Jesus, to, to bless others, to work against the forces of darkness, and to seek to repair the broken things of this world. Friends, God is on the move creating stories of change in all kinds of people's lives, and he wants to use us to make a difference for his kingdom. But in order to work through us, we need God to work in us. So let's look at Esther and consider what God has, might be saying to us. First, in order to effect change, Esther had to be present. She had to be present. Notice in chapter 4 that when Esther hears that Mordecai is in mourning, that he's ripped his clothes as a sign of his anguish, that he's wearing sackcloth and ashes, which were signs of deep sorrow, Esther hears all this, and what is her first response? She's not going to ask him what's wrong. She tries to cover over his problem by just giving him some new clothes. It says in verse 4 that Esther tried to give him garments to clothe him. This is still the same Esther. She is not interested in engaging what is going on. She just wants her comfortable life to stay comfortable. And she wants the problem to go away. Notice also that we're told in verse 3 that all the Jews had heard about their annihilation. Right? The author draws our attention to that. That all the Jews are mourning. Everyone's mourning except Esther. It's meant to be a statement about how insulated and isolated Esther had become. 
Her people are mourning, but she is enjoying a high life in the castle. She, she had become so removed from anything that was happening outside the palace walls that she didn't even know about this edict against her people. But Mordecai sends his clothes back because he is unwilling to turn a blind eye to the injustice that his people have been put under. And this is where things begin to change for Esther. Because instead of giving up, fine, be that way, Esther makes the right, right choice to go get more information. She first responds to someone's sadness by trying to cover over it. But then she does the right thing and responds to someone's sadness by trying to listen to it. Friends, God wants us to be good listeners. She, she, she herself was not allowed to leave the castle, so she sends a servant to find out what is happening. See, in order for Esther to be able to see what needed to be done, she first had to find a way to be present with the problem. She, she had to remove her distance. She had to find a way to get out of her isolation and insulation and be present in order to be moved by what was happening. So I ask us the question, how present are we? How present are we with the pain of the world? I think it's very easy for us as Christians sometimes to just insulate and isolate ourselves, to get lost in our Christian communities, to keep all our relationships with other Christians, to keep all our activities around church activities, to, to go home and then stay in the comfort of our homes. Our home becomes a fortress to guard us against the world. We, we are, we're not present with people. But friends, we're trying to do something different here as a church. We as a church are passionately committed to being present in our city. Not because we view our city as a problem, but because wherever there's a density of people, there's a density of sin because people are sinners. And so cities aren't necessarily worse than anywhere else. We just have more brokenness here because we have more people here. In order to bring change, in order to be the hands and feet of Jesus, bringing his love to the lost, the last, and the least, his beauty to brokenness, in order to minister his grace, we have to be present with people. But how easy it can be for us just to try to glance over it and keep ourselves removed from it. But friends, God does not want us to view the world as something to protect ourselves from. He wants us to view the world as a place we need to be present in order to be his agents of change. There are different ways that God calls us to do this, to be sure. For some, it might be serving your local neighborhood association. I bring that up. It's not for the faint of heart. I did it for about a year. That's about all I could take of it. Uh, neighborhood politics are, are a challenge, but you know, it is a good opportunity to be a light for Christ. Maybe God's giving you an opportunity to get involved in things like that. Maybe for some of you, it's sending your kids to public school so that you can build relationships in the community with other parents. Maybe for some of you, there's a block garden where you can get involved and get to know your neighbors through that. Maybe some of you, it's important for you to get out on your block and just regularly clean up trash so you can get to meet people. Maybe it's just sitting out on your stoop at night instead of going inside your home after work. This Saturday, we have an opportunity to be a loud presence in our neighborhood. Why do we go hide Easter eggs? Not because kids in our neighborhood need more candy. It's because they need Jesus. And so we want to go be a loud presence in the park to let people know that there's a church here that loves our neighborhood. Whether you come through our doors or not, we're not just trying to get more people in the pews. We're trying to get outside our four walls to tell people in practical ways, God loves you. And you're welcome to come here whenever you want. 
Listen, I'm not sure how God is calling you to be present, but I know the only way we can make a difference is, be, is by being present. You have to be present. Number two, we have to be prayerful. Once Esther becomes aware of the problem, did you notice what her first thing is to do? She asks for prayer. She actually technically asked for praying, for fasting, excuse me, for fasting, but, but Pastor Ian did a great job last week of talking about how fasting is always connected to prayer. Right? Fasting is a practice where we cease to eat physical food as a sign of our spiritual dependence upon God. And so as our bodies hunger for food, we are symbolizing how we are hungering for God to act. Praying is always associated with fasting. And here, it is through this prayer that we see that Esther really begins to change. She is no longer working in the ways of Persia. Her first action is not to try to go and affect change through political means. We need to hear this, America. She is going to the king's court but before going to the king's court, she does not start with a practical need. She starts with a spiritual awareness. She knows that unless the Lord goes before her, she goes in vain. And so before going into the throne room of the king, Esther asked the people to go into the throne room of God, the true king, the highest king of heaven. Because she is placing her faith and realizing at this point the promise of Proverbs 21, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. See, Esther is recognizing that she needed God to act. She needed God to work through her work. See, friends, without prayer, our efforts to serve the Lord are like trying to fly a kite without any wind. We run around expending a lot of energy, but nothing actually lasting happens. Friends, what we need to do if we want to be used by God is to pray for the wind of his might to blow. How often prayer becomes what we turn to when we think we have nothing else to do. Friends, if we want to see a difference made in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood, in our city, in our country, in our world, then prayer should not be our last resort but our first priority because we need the power of God to this is why we gather for prayer every single Sunday before our Sunday service. A lot of planning, a lot of thinking goes into this service, but we don't want to just expect to kind of show up and just do it. We need the power of God to meet us. That's why our church staff gathers every Monday morning and we start out our week praying for God to come and move in our lives. We don't want to start with our to-do list. We want to start with, God, what do you want to do list? This is why as a church we have quarterly prayer and fasting nights where, where we just pour out our hearts before God, asking Him to move. And friends, this is why you need to start each of your days with prayer. Do I need to start my day with prayer? Well, I would suggest you do. Psalm chapter 5, verse 3 says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Now, I don't think it means that God only hears our voice in the morning. But I think it means that we are to start the day in the morning by laying out our hearts to God and asking him to move. We just start our day by, by positioning our hearts in prayerful dependence on the Lord. A day that's not started in prayer is a day that we think we can handle in our own strength. 
And, and then we need to keep this prayerful spirit throughout the day, right? We're told to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that we're always praying every single second, but it does mean that we should be trying to cultivate a conscious awareness of our need for God and having these lots of little prayers going up throughout the day. Lord, I need you. In this next meeting, oh man, my boss is about to come in the door. Lord, I need you, right? We're constantly praying before the Lord. If we want to see a difference made, then we have to be people who pray. Because friends, God can do in a moment more than we could possibly achieve in a lifetime. Prayer can't be our last resort. It must be our first priority. We need to be prayerful. Three, we need to be purposeful. After praying, Esther does not just sit back and let go and let God. I prayed. All right. Just going to wait here. No, no, no. She takes purposeful action. Mordecai says, what if God's put you in such a place for such time as this? And Esther's like, okay, let's go. See, friends, and the more, notice what else Mordecai says in verse 14. He actually tells her, God doesn't need you. Did you notice that? He says in verse 14, if you keep silent this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. Right, Mordecai has had complete repentance. He's now believing the promises of God to preserve his people. And so he, he, he's like, hey, Esther, God can work in spite of you. But God has given you an opportunity to work through you. Friends, you are not needed for God's mission, but you are invited to take part in it. And I'm not you, but I won't be someone that God works in spite of. I won't be someone that God works through. And that's what Esther does. She, she becomes someone that God works through. She, she thinks, okay, I am here for such a time as this. She, she doesn't know the outcome of what will happen, but she does know that she's been placed here for a purpose. And so she's not going to wait for the king to call her. It's been 30 days, she says, since the king has last seen her. I'm guessing the honeymoon is over and affections have cooled. Her, her point is, I'm not sure when the next time I'm going to get kind of called in. But she's not like, well, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait in you, Lord. No, 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 no. She's like, I need to act. And so she takes action purposefully, not knowing what that action will cost her. Coming unbidden before the king, did you see, was against the law. It was an offense punished by death. The only way to get past that is if the king specifically chose to pardon you in that moment. So Esther says, if I perish, I perish. She is so locked in at this point that she's like, I'm going to take this as my purpose, even if it leads to my death. She's not following her purpose of God for what she thinks she gets out of it. She's following her purpose in God because she just knows she needs to be obedient. She, she knew she'd been put in a position as this to take this opportunity. And, and for us, like not many of us are nearly as, in a position as powerful as a queen, but I think the principle holds just the same. Friends, every place that we find ourselves in, we're not just happening to be there. God has placed us there for a purpose. Back in my sales career, former life, I was uh, serving a large client and we were actually uh, going up on a, to an expo in New York City. Um, we got on the train together uh, because I don't drive in New York City. Um, that is one less stress in my life that I do not need. Um, so we get on the train, and we're just you know, making conversation. And he asked me, you know, just casually as people do, well, what are your plans for the weekend? Now, I felt compelled that I should tell him why well, I'm going to go to church and see if that would spark any kind of spiritual conversation that would maybe lead to an opportunity to share the gospel. That's what I felt I should do. But I also felt, man, I've got a family to feed, and I don't want to lose this client. <laughs> You never know how spiritual conversations might go, right? 
And so I try to say a quick prayer, Lord, what should I do? I don't know what to do. I'm just having this internal conversation with God. I'm not the one who has internal conversations with God. Right? I'm just having this internal conversation with God, right? I really felt the Lord say for such a time as this. For such a time as this. It's bringing to my mind that it wasn't by chance that an opportunity to come up for this conversation to take a spiritual turn. The guy didn't have to ask me that question, but he did. Now there's an opportunity placed in front of me. And while stepping out and turning the conversation towards God could put my sales position at risk, the thought came to me, what if the whole reason I was in this position was to talk to this person at this moment in this time? So I did. And now I'm a pastor because my sales career didn't work out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the conversation actually went fine. Now, by the grace of God, I was able to share the gospel. And I don't want to tell you this great story where the person became a Christian because I don't know the end of their story, but I do know what happened to me in that moment. I was reminded that if I believe God is in control of all things at all times, that means there are no chance encounters. But every place that we are is a place where God has put us for such a time as this. Seeing God as providential is meant to have us view our lives as purposeful. Nothing happens by chance. Students, this is meant to inform how you go to class. You're not just sent to that school. If you're a Christian, then you've been placed there by God to share the gospel with your classmates. This is meant to change how we view our workplaces. We don't just go there to work well, although we should. No one wants to listen to a lazy worker. <laughs> so work with excellence. But you're not just there to work with excellence. You have to build relationships so you can share about Christ. You don't just happen to live on your block. You've been placed there to be the presence of Jesus in that place. Right? The list goes down. Every place that we are, every person we come encounter with, friends, friends, we're not just happening to go through life. We've been sent here for such a time as this. God can get done his work without us, but friends, it is so much better when he does his work through us. And maybe you're thinking at this point, well, that's nice. I can't be used by God. I've got enough problems of my own trying to let alone talk to anyone else. Well, friends, we've got to remember that Esther in chapter 4 is the same Esther in chapter 2. She had a little bit of a baggage going on. But she did not let the regrets of her past keep her from moving forward in her purpose in the present. How often we come paralyzed by our own problems and our own stuff when actually it was her sin that put her in a position to step forward and speak up for her people's salvation. What if the sin, the very sin that you think keeps you from speaking up for God is the very sin that God has allowed to occur in your life to put you in a position to speak about how he is the savior of sinners? We can stay paralyzed by our past or we can believe that in the Christ died for my sins. Past, present, and future. And so I'm not going to stay defined by what I don't do. I'm going to stay defined by what he has done. And no matter how unworthy I feel, I'm going to remember it's not about me. I'm not preaching the gospel of how great I am. I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus and how great he is. Friends, God uses broken people who are willing to step out and talk about the beauty of the Savior. If someone like Esther could be used, then we can't count ourselves out. And so, friends, we want to make a difference. We need to allow God to work in our hearts to be present, to be prayerful, to be purposeful, for to be partnered. Notice the partnership between Mordecai and Esther that takes place. Without Mordecai, Esther has no idea what's going on. 
But without Esther, Mordecai can't get anything done about what's going on. Mordecai gives the information. Esther acts on the information. They play different parts, but they each had a part to play. And nothing would have gotten done if they weren't able to partner together. What a beautiful foreshadowing of how we are meant to operate as a church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about how the church is the body of Jesus, a body in which we all have different parts to play, but in which we all are to be playing a part. Oh, there are hands, and there are feet, and there are mouths, and there are ears, and there's, there's all kinds of different but necessary things. We all have different skills, different experiences, different burdens that we feel like the Lord is moving us forward to. And these differences are meant to be complementary with one another so that we can get more done together than we ever could by ourselves. Yet how sadly our differences, instead of complementing us, how sadly often our differences can divide us. When someone doesn't carry the same passion that we do, we judge them. Why don't they care about it? They should care about that. Why don't they care about that? What's wrong with them? But when differences lead to divisions, friends, that distracts us from the mission. We get more done for Jesus when instead of judging people for why they aren't serving Jesus like we are, we support them in the efforts that they're doing to serve Jesus in his name. More gets done when we celebrate differences instead of divide over them. When we were playing this church, one of my best friends was praying about coming on the church plate with us, and I obviously really wanted him to. Um, but they were also in the process of a fostering to adopt a little girl. And if they moved, they weren't exactly sure how that, how that would go. So they decided to prioritize fostering over church planning. Now, Angie and I have always prayed about fostering a child. That's been something we've, we've considered. But we don't think that we could continue to do all the things that God's called us to do if we chose to do that, because that does dramatically change your life. And so my friend and I had different callings. And we could have been distracted from what God had called us to do differently if we chose to be divided. Right? He could have judged me for not wanting to foster, and I could have judged him for not being willing to, you know, hey, forsake family, man. You're supposed to go to the, you know, go, go plant a church in the city. Right? We could have very easily judged each other, or we could be grateful that God uses different people in different ways to play different parts in moving forward his kingdom agenda. Friends, more gets done in supportive partnership than in judgmental infighting. I'm grateful that my friend did do that. I'm grateful that we're doing what we're doing. I'm grateful that we can praise God for the different things that God calls us to do. Friends, I pray that we be a church that supports one another in the different choices we make that advance kingdom purposes instead of judging each other for making different choices. That's not a word of correction, but it is a word of caution. And I'm so grateful that here in our city, this isn't just individual within the church, I think this is within the church of God. How can we celebrate different churches that are doing different things instead of judging them for not doing things like we are? Right. Are we going to compete with other churches? Or are we going to see the church the way Jesus sees the church? Jesus talks about his church. Yes, there are local expressions of it, absolutely. But you're either on Team Jesus or you're not. And so listen, there's other churches in the city that are very different than us that, honestly, I couldn't go to because it certainly would not suit my preferences. you know. Um, and yet I'm glad they're here. I'm glad that what they're doing is reaching people in a unique way for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
there are churches that are not sharing the gospel, and in that sense, I wouldn't even call them a church because they're just more social causes. So I'm not saying that like we should celebrate anything. Obviously, there, there's heresy, there's all kinds of bad stuff, but churches that are faithfully preaching the gospel, we should be grateful that they're here. We should be partnering together. And, and, and we should not try to feel like we have to do all things for all people. Right? Like, I'm grateful that we can partner with an organization called Alpha Care and offer Christ centered pregnancy services to women in need. Like, I'm grateful. We don't have to, like, create a ministry for that. We're able to support a ministry that does that. You know, I'm grateful that, uh, that, that we have ministries like Chosen 300 or, or, um, uh, small things, which are different, uh, you know, food outreach ministries that we can partner with as a church. Like, we try to feed hungry. We have our own, uh, homeless outreach ministry that we do, uh, once a month on a Saturday. Um, and yet, there's so many more hungry people that we could possibly feed than our one little church could. So it's good to be able to partner with other organizations and to celebrate that. We're not competing, we're partnering. We get more done for God when we do it together. And so I pray that we're a church, to be a church that celebrates the different things that God calls us to do individually within the church and then also broadly within the church universal here in the city and here in our world. Let's be grateful for the different things that God's called us to do and be partnered together. Finally, we need to be patient. We need to be patient. In chapter 5, we see Esther go into the throne room. By the grace of God, her life is spared. The king extends his scepter and spares her life. But Esther, did you notice she does not immediately come out and ask for him to deliver her people? Like, that's why she went there. But that's not what she asked for. Why? Well, I don't think it's because she had lost her nerve. Like, that would have happened beforehand, right? Like, they'd have been too scared to, like, to go in. The king's extended his favor. Like, she, she's in. She's okay. She's not going to die. She already did the hard part of coming unbidden before the king. But I think since things have obviously cooled on the relational front between her and the king, since it had been a month since they'd been together, I think it's safe to say the passion had waned, Esther wisely decides that it would be better to build a relational capital with the king before making her request. See, see, see sometimes, friends, it, it, you need to build a relationship before you're able to speak into that relationship. And so she invites the king over for dinner. Because even a thousand years ago, the fastest way to a man's heart is through his stomach. She, she, she invites him over for dinner. And I'm not sure what the meal tasted like, but afterwards the king offers her half his kingdom. And so, like, I want some of that. Um, but again, did you notice, instead of making her request at that point, what does she say? She asks him to come back tomorrow. Now, again, it's not like she's getting cold feet. Notice in verse 8 of chapter 5 that she says, when you come back tomorrow, I'm going to do what you ask. Right? I'm going I'm to make my request. I'm going to do it. She, she's not putting it off. She isn't being scared to act, but she is being patient to allow the relationship to be built so that when she does act, her request falls on responsive ears and a soft heart. Sometimes I think we miss the opportunities God is giving us because we get ahead of God's timing for us. We go straight for the big thing, like sharing the gospel, instead of doing the small thing, like serving other people. Before Esther asks for her people to be saved, she simply makes the king a meal. Not because she is saying that her people's salvation doesn't matter. Oh, it does. That's not lost at all. But she doesn't start there. 
She starts with building the relationship. Friends, this is why I think building relationships with lost people needs to be a crucial part of our missional strategy. You know, people in our culture are very suspicious of Christians. They're very unsure about Christians. And I think sometimes before jumping in with our Christian message, I think we'd be better served to building relationships where people can know that we care about them. Right? People often want to know you care before they care about what you know. This is why we do things like give out candy on Saturday. It's like, why aren't you there with a the megaphone preaching the gospel? Oh, I'm going to do that on Sunday. I'm not, I'm not scared to preach the gospel. But I want to reap people where they're at, like Esther, and build a relationship. Right? That's why we're going to do things as a church where we're, we're just going to try to do good to our neighbors. And then eventually, hopefully, that will continue to lead, as it has for so many, that will lead to people coming in here in the gospel. When we start with the gospel, sometimes we miss out on the strategy that God uses in the gospel to draw people to himself. Now, I'm not saying there's not a time just to immediately, hey, you meet someone for the first time, God might move in your heart, you might share with them right away. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm not trying to put a law in practice here, but I am trying to give a general principle that we need to be patient in building relationships because it is through relationships that God often does his strongest work. Parents, I think this is huge for us with our kids. Who are the most important lost people to a parent? It should be your children. You know what that means? One of your goals as a parent should be building a relationship with your kids. Building a relationship with them. Yes, we need to correct them. Amen. <laughs> but we need to build a relationship with them. We need to help them see how we do care about them. If you've been a parent for more than 30 minutes, you know it takes a lot of patience. Friends, are we willing to patiently build relationships and as we wait for God's timing? Esther had to change in order to be an agent of change. She, she had to be different in order to make a difference. God had to do some work in her before he does some work through her. And so the question is, where does God need to work in you? In order for you to continue to grow into the person that God uses, where does God need to work in you? Maybe you're someone who needs to be a little more present. Maybe even insulating yourself a little bit from the people and places around you. Maybe you need to be more prayerful. You've gotten very comfortable going alone in your own strength instead of asking God for his. Maybe you need to be more purposeful. You've been kind of just drifting through life instead of living for your purpose to make God known. Maybe you need to be more partnered. Maybe you've been kind of going alone. You're not really plugged into community. You come out to church occasionally, but, but you know life is really about you. You're not really looking to, to partner with other people for gospel kingdom purposes. Maybe you need to be more patient. Maybe you've been giving up because you're just not seeing things happening. I don't know where you need to grow, but I do know how you can grow. And it's not going to be through greater self-effort, just trying harder. If I stopped preaching at this moment, there's not a Jewish rabbi in the world who would be upset with anything I just said. But that means that I've not preached a Christian message. Because the point of every text is not just to tell us what we need to do. As Jesus said in John 5.39, the goal of Scripture is to tell us about Christ. And so the way that we grow and change and become the person that God uses is by seeing how Jesus came and was the perfect person that God used. How do, how do young children grow? Little babies. They don't just expend energy. They need to feed continually. 
Now, some of us carry that a little bit too much into adulthood, like we need to slow down the feeding side. But, but, but little kids, like they can't eat too much. As they nourish themselves, growth happens. And so friends, what we need in order to grow spiritually is not just to be told how we need to expend energy, the things we need to do. What we need is to be nourished more and more by Christ. We need to learn not just how to be different like Esther. We need to look at the one that Esther is meant to point forward to. There are no chance words in the Bible. Where's Jesus in this text? I don't see him named. Oh, friends, he's there. Did, 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 you, did you notice how long Esther asked for people to pray for her? She could have asked for any time. Hey, pray for me for 24 hours. Pray for me for a week. Pray for me for a month. She could have asked for any length of time. Did you notice how long she asked for people to pray for her? Three days. And what is on, the Bible says, it says, on the third day, chapter 5, verse 1, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner corner of the king's palace. Friends, there are no chance words in the Bible. In those three days, we are meant to see a greater three days to come. The three days that we're looking forward to worshiping together with each other this coming weekend. On the cross on Good Friday, Jesus went into the throne room of God on our behalf. But the scepter was not extended and pardoned over him. No, he did perish. Judgment came down upon him. Esther was not sure if she would die when she went before the king. Oh, Jesus did know that he was going to die. Throughout his ministry of miracles, people wanted to make him king, but the Gospels tell us that Jesus kept his face set towards Jerusalem. He could not be distracted from going to that destination because he knew that in Jerusalem there was a cross waiting for him where he would go on behalf of his people and he would die in our place. And Jesus could not be dissuaded from turning away from that purpose because he knew he had come for such a time as this. Our sin required God's judgment and punishment. But in God's love, he came and took our punishment upon himself. And it was not until all of hell had been loosed upon Jesus' soul that he said it was finished. And he was buried in a tomb where his body laid still for three days. But on the third day, on the third day, he rose from the grave and he left behind his grave clothes neatly folded because he had different robes to put on. He put on his royal robes of resurrection to prove that he is the king over life and death. And he goes and he rises from the grave so he can go to his father and he can invite his father to come to a feast. The Bible says that there is a banquet of salvation in Jesus. Jesus has risen on the third day to invite his father to a feast. A feast where he's going to show the, all the work that he has done. He's going to show the meal that he's been cooking up through what he did through living the life we could not live. Through what he did through dying the death that we deserve on the cross. Through what he did through rising from the grave on the third day. Jesus has cooked up a meal of our salvation and he's invited the Father to that feast to come and glorify what the Son has done and he's invited us, lost sinners, to that feast to come and be saved by what he has done. 
Our hope today, friends, is not that we're going to be perfect people. Our hope today is that Jesus is the perfect Savior. How we grow as Christians is not through more self-effort, but through greater nourishment in Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.18, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. How do we grow as Christians? We begin to become what we behold. You're feeling convicted? Man, I haven't been present. Man, I haven't been prayerful. Oh, man, you got me with that one. You feeling convicted? Here's what you need. You need to look to Christ. You need to look to the one who is perfectly present. God, come to be with us. You need to look to the one who prayed throughout his life for the empowerment of the Spirit. You need to look to the one who accomplished his purpose through dying the death we deserve on the cross. You need to look to the one who partnered together with the triune God. The Father sent the Son. The Son came and died in our place and the Spirit empowered him for that. You need to look at the partnered triune God accomplishing our salvation and you need to see the heart of God that's patient towards us. The heart of God that is patient towards you. If you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says it's not because God's being slow to end this world. That's why the world hasn't ended yet. You know why God's you know why today is still today? You know why things haven't ended yet? It says, because God is not slow to fulfill his promise, but is being patient towards you, waiting for you to reach repentance. This is the heart of our Savior. We grow into being the people God wants us to be by seeing the person that Jesus is. He is grace for our failings. He is strength for our weaknesses. He is hope for our inadequacies. He is vigor for our fatigue. He is perfection for our image. So Christ Church, let's keep our eyes on Christ and allow him to continue to change us into the people that he wants us to be so that he, as he works in us, he can more and more do his work through us for the glory of his name. Inspire us in prayer.